So Money episode 30, Soraya Darabi and Maxine Beda. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. We have a double treat today. We have two cool guests. I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. I have two very inspiring female entrepreneurs, partners in crime, Soraya Darabi and Maxime Beda. They co-founded Zadie.com. It's a shopping platform and lifestyle destination for consumers who care about the origins of the items they purchase. What Whole Foods has done for the organic food movement, Zadie is doing for fashion, including clothing, accessories, and home decor. Zadie has been named one of the world's top 10 most innovative companies in retail by Fast Company and one of 22 Instagram accounts fashionistas should follow in 2014 by BuzzFeed. Now, in addition to learning each of these women's personal finance stories, their their journeys to becoming the great entrepreneurs that they are today, we're going to learn a little bit about the business itself and how and why Zadie started a conscious consumer movement. What it's like to work with a friend as Soraya and Maxime have been friends since high school and the art of slow fashion. Apparently it's a real thing and it is driving a paradigm shift. It's revolutionizing the way we most likely will be approaching money, travel, and other aspects of our lives not so far in the future. Very, very interesting stuff. Without further ado, here is Soraya Darabi and Maxime Beda. Soraya and Maxime, thank you so much for joining me on So Money. Great to have you both. Great to be here. Thank you. Congratulations on what I I, I can only imagine is um, uh, such a rewarding uh, business that you're both in, that you both started. You know, uh, Zadie.com has been uh, uh, just doing so well in, in what seems to be a relatively short period of time. It seems like you both um, are very synergistic in your partnership. And, and I want to learn a, a more just about what is Zadie.com for those of us on the call who may not be familiar with Zadie. Uh, what's the mission? It's far more than just another retail site. I mean, it's really a movement from what I gather. So this is uh, Maxine speaking. Zadie is a shopping and lifestyle destination for the conscious consumer. Um, and the conscious consumer uh, is a really broad and growing audience these days. And, and we found ourselves, uh, Sarai and I, to be those conscious consumers we're people who are looking at what we're eating and we're trying to go to yoga when we can and feel good about what we're doing and, and who we are in this world. Um, and so the idea for Zadie really came about because we uh, you know, took a look at our refrigerators and could feel great about that and the food choices we were making. But when we opened our closets, we really had no idea um, how our clothing was made, where it was coming from, but we did hear very scary reports about 
um, the impact that all of this clothing that we've been buying has on our water, has on the environment, and of course, uh, the labor conditions associated with such cheap clothing. So that was really the impetus for us to get together and say, what can we do to make a beautiful destination that's a real experience for people where they can learn beautiful stories um, and buy uh, just fantastic product that they can feel really great about that's not going to last a season, but um, is really meant to last for a lifetime. So that's really um, the background for Zadie, and it's been going on for just uh, a year and a half, and it's been so phenomenal to see how quickly people are um, are adopting this slow fashion movement mm -hmm. and are getting excited about it and, and want to be a part of it because they've lived through the same fast fashion that we've lived through, uh, and they want to see something different in their lives. And it's not cheap stuff, let's be honest. It's I've been on the site, beautiful, beautiful items ranging from clothing to candles to jewelry to accessories. Uh, the price points are relatively high. Do you find that that's um, been a challenge to convince consumers you know, who um, are, want to be conscious buyers but are also price conscious? How do you reconcile those two things for the consumer? Uh, Soraya speaking. So we, we understand that, that belief and we think that in order for this movement to work and for prices to level the way they have in many cases with the organic food industry, which is now you know sold in Walmart and, and in, here in New York, uh, Whole Foods is on par and price with Gristides, our, our main you know, grocery store. But in order for that to happen with fashion, it's going to take uh, a demand of the masses. In the short term, what we've been saying from day one and what we firmly believe is that when you buy clothing that's made to last, you're investing a little bit up front. But then over time, when you measure out the cost per wear, the item is actually relatively cheaper on your wallet. Fast fashion keeps us on a treadmill of sorts, where we're expected to buy more and more, but the clothing falls apart so quickly that we then have to go back to those stores to keep up with runway trends. Instead, on Zadie, we suggest that people dress timelessly in order and and own things that work well with many pieces in your closet and that are functional and can take you from one season to the next. So we, we believe uh, fervently in cost per wear and we believe in things that are meant to last, as Maxine said, many years and not just many months. The Wall Street Journal calls uh, your movement feel-good fashion, the mm -hmm. new black, and you've been raved, Zadie has received rave reviews from BuzzFeed and um, Fast Company. Soraya, you're on the cover of Fast Company, right? Uh, yes, I was. That's amazing. That's so amazing. <laughs> and that's actually how I first learned about you. Our last names are sort of similar, so I thought, hmm, maybe she's Iranian? And uh, you have uh, both have international backgrounds, which which plays a big part, would you say, in, in kind of your, your, your involvement in the business? Oh, absolutely. I think the fact that we both um, are not only, um, you know, worldly. I, that seems like such a pretentious word to say, but it's true. Maxine and I both love to travel. We love uh, meeting people from all around the world, discovering new cultures. And part of that uh, like-mindedness is uh, wanting to understand traditions of local cultures. Um, I think what uh, was so exciting about partnering with Maxine and still is, is, is the fact that, you know, in her own time, while in law school, while most students would just be studying at the library, she began this fabulous nonprofit that we've since partnered with, helping artisans in the developing world continue their craft traditions. So, yes, being international is a big part of who we are, and it's a big part of the choices that we've made in our lives and in our careers. 
uh, for me working for the New York Times and, and being involved in the nonprofits that I've chosen to be involved with um, as well, I, I'd say that um, we were raised by parents who wanted us to, to have a global perspective. Mm-hmm. And talk about your partnership. I, I mentioned earlier that you're both uh, you go way back. You go back to high school, in fact, and uh, it was until years later when you were both um, working in, in your um, individual fields. Soraya, you were uh, in business and social media at the New York Times. Maxine, you were in uh, policy in as a diplomat working for the United Nations, and you were also the co-founder of, uh, I want to get it right, um, the, bootstrap. the Bootstrap Project, right, thank you. So how was it that you both reconnected and got this idea? Was it, I mean, take me to that moment where you both had this sort of light bulb moment for Zadie. Yeah, well, um, as you said, uh, we were friends back in high school and uh, had this really great connection. And, um, you know, we reconnected 10 years later and had so many things to talk about and catch up on for the over that past decade. Uh, And it was really nice to have that moment of somebody who you've grown up with who's who's known you from the beginning. And we had some great conversations about the way we dress and, you know, the the process that we've gone through with growing up with fast fashion and just that feeling of um, having a closet, you know, tiny New York closets that overflowing with nothing to wear um, and how that doesn't feel really good and doesn't seem to fit with uh, who we think we are as people are, who at least we aspire to be. Um, and so it was this great coming together and having a person to fall back on that shared your same history, um, but that had a, you know, came with a different background, at least career-wise. Uh, so it was, it was a fun reconnection uh, and a great way to start a company together. What's it like uh, working with your friend? Um, you know, sometimes people advise against it, uh, but how has it worked out for the two of you? How do you balance each other out? You know, it, it will ask us every day. <laughs> no, it, it works out really well. Um, I think, first of all, um, we, as Maxine said, we have varying backgrounds, but we share such a core belief in this mission. And, you know, we are the only two people in the world who will recognize what it's been like to be part of this company from day one. Um, and so there's a very unique bond that you form, your, your business partners, your friends, um, your allies in this great, um, you know, uh, uh, mission known as startup land. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's really nice to be able to work alongside someone, you know, seven days a week who, you know, on any given Friday is always up for a hot toddy and a conversation about mm-hmm. the business. So we, we really enjoy each other, and we um, have very similar and, and very ambitious goals for the company. Um, so you might say that that's just lucky, uh, because yes, we have heard the stories of how it can and cannot work out for friends, or for husbands and wives, or for siblings, but at the end of the day, if you believe in the business, and you believe in the person that you've partnered with, as we do, then everything should be great. Well, let's turn now to the money questions. Um, and feel free to jump in, whoever wants to go first. I don't really have a particular question for uh, uh, just one of you. So if anyone feels more compelled to answer quicker, go, just you know, jump right in. So the first question I'd like to ask guests is, what is your financial philosophy? And this is really uh, kind of think of it like a money mantra. You, you might have several, but uh, what's your favorite? And what does it help you? Um, how does it help you to manage and, and run your financial life more efficiently? 
Uh, I think, so I already mentioned this, but cost per wear. Yeah. Uh, it certainly has changed the way that uh, I make buying decisions, and that can be whether it's clothing, of course we're talking about wearing, but um, or buying things for the home. I'm thinking about, is this something I'm just, you know, I'm having a bad day and so I want to buy this, or is this something that has integrity and it's going to be something that's exciting and interesting to me uh, for the long haul? And I think that that flip, that change, has given me, given me so much freedom um, because I don't feel kind of that my buying is connected to my emotions. It's connected to adding value and adding beauty to my life. And so that um, certainly cost per wear is, is a big mantra. How about you, Soraya? Well, now we're just going to sound like a broken record of each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say um, that I've been shopping differently. This is tangential, but I've been shopping differently ever since we started the company. You know, when, when Maxine and I got together and we started talking about the parallels between slow food and what we wanted to happen in, in uh, the fashion and home goods world, um, I noticed that I began spending less generally. Um, I'd spend less on, uh, you know, a new stereo I thought I'd need for my home. I, I'd spend less on groceries that I wouldn't be eating that week. And what, you know, Zadie is really trying to accomplish with um, the way in which we're encouraging people to buy is thoughtfulness and mindfulness. Um, and it works because once you begin to buy into the idea that slow fashion is a thing, you, you address different aspects of your life. Uh, in fact, there was a great article that um, a journalist recently wrote for, for our features section, which is our original content section of the site called um, The Art of Slow Travel. And it's been shared quite a lot on Twitter. And people are saying that, you know, because of Zadie, they're now approaching even their traveling a little bit differently. They don't need to come home with an armful of souvenirs. They want to come home with one special memento that, that meant something to them. I, I honestly think that's one of the best compliments we could possibly receive, is that people are starting to address their lives differently because they really feel loyal to our brand. That's amazing. And yeah, absolutely. It's sort of like um, less is more. You were going to be paying more maybe up front, but having a long-term understanding of you know, what's the value of what you're buying today and how that's going to last and be a return on your investment essentially for a lot longer. And I think, yeah, in, in a world where everybody's looking to save money, it's a very short-term goal sometimes. You just sort of look at how much you're paying today versus, um, you know, what the net effect is over the long run. And so I'm a big proponent of cost per wear as well. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, investing in the one thing as opposed to 10 little things that, um, you know, aren't maybe as special. The thing that I find really interesting is there's this new conversation and new vocabulary around what is something of value. And I think the kind of immediate reaction is to say value is something that's cheap. But we're now hearing a lot more conversation um, and understanding around that value is something that's going to last for the long haul and is something that's really going to add um, add something to your life rather than just the price tag that you see. And, and that's really exciting and interesting to see. Well, you actually made me think of something. I mean, your company was launched a couple of years ago, less than a couple of years ago, right? Mm -hmm. And so the timing in terms of where the mindset was, that the paradigm shift of the average consumer in the American economy, I mean, think about it, we just come out of this massive, massive financial blow up um, where people had lost... Uh, retirement savings, they'd lost their jobs, they'd lost a lot of their emotional bearings really and trust. And mm -hmm. really people started to have a lot more philosophical thinking around 
what's important to them, what they value, what's, you know, what's quote unquote worth it to them. So in some ways, the evolution of your business came at a really, really important time and um, at a time when I think America was ready in some ways. I mean, we're not 100% there yet, but I think you kind of, uh, the timing of your business was, was, uh, was great. I think it's just because we, you know, we're living it too. And and we're a reaction of the society and part, very much a part of the society that has gone through that same thinking of, you know, what does it mean to buy something and, Mm -hmm. and why are we doing it? What does it all mean at the end? Right. Right. I mean, look, I still love a bargain. (laughs) (laughs) I like to, you know, I, I dig through that sale rack, but, uh, but more and more, you know, the things that, um, I know, I want forever for a long, long time. I'm not going to go for the, you know, for the rock bottom, for the bargain basement uh, deals. All right, let's talk about memories, money memories. Um, both of you grew up in the Midwest, in uh, Minnesota, right? Together and went to high school together. Um, really, the heartland of America. And <laughs> I'm curious from both of you to hear what is one outstanding money memory that each of you had and and what did you learn from it and how did it maybe shape or influence the way that you think about money as an adult? Well, um, I guess um, something that comes to mind is that uh, um, my father was a cab driver in New York City. So while my mother raised us in Minnesota, we would spend weekends and summers with my dad. And uh, he's such a warm personality. He did it to support his poetry. But he was really a bon vivant. I, I always say when people ask me what my father does for a living, I say he's a man of leisure. Um, but he would you know, make all of his money in cash. And he didn't have a bank account for the longest time. You know, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm the daughter of an immigrant. And so I remember days when my father would have maybe $400 and he'd put it up on the dashboard and he would say, you know, this is the amount of money that we have to spend this weekend. But he wanted us to spend it all. And so as a child, I would indulge and we'd spend that on, you know, trips to ride ponies and to go to the movies and to see three back-to-back shows. But over time, it actually made me very judicious and very careful with money to the point of being um, overly pragmatic. And I think the lesson that our father was trying to teach us was that even if you don't have much money, it's meant to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And experiences are the, are the most important thing that money can, can buy you. So as an adult now, and you know, I've been working in jobs since I was 13, um, whether it's been waitressing or as a barista, folding clothing, uh, or later in life, you know, working at the New York Times, I think I I make money, but I make sure to enjoy it because you know hard work is is um, is there to be spent um, for fulfillment once certain Maslowian hierarchical needs are met, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm very happy that he he taught me that lesson early on. Um, so it's an important money one, but but one that's carried with me through life. Uh, my money one. Uh, my mother always uh, encouraged me. She's like when you. Uh, when you look good, or in her mind, it was when you dress well, you feel good. And so uh, she was not encouraging me to buy a lot, but we would go, you know, once a year and get a nice outfit. Um, and that is something that carried me through because I always feel more put together when I look put together uh, and investing in those pieces that still, when I go back home to Minneapolis, I still wear uh, most of my high school clothing. Um, and, and that was, that was a good lesson. The same, you know, with it, like a, getting a nice carpet in college, uh, I invested in that my freshman year and, 
uh, I don't want to say how many years later, but that carpet is still in my bedroom um, because I got one that, you know, was nice. So um, she, definitely those values came from her. It's amazing what our parents teach us almost inadvertently. You know, they, they it sounds like for you, Soraya, I mean, very much your father led by example and you were astute enough to, you know, be observant and then, you know, as an adult to reflect on that and, and, and incorporate some of that in your own life. And um, it's just, you know, I like this question a lot because I think it reminds people that we don't live in a, we don't do our, make our financial choices and live yeah. our lives in a vacuum that people are watching and especially your kids. So, uh, um, and there's, these are life lessons. Well, speaking of lessons, financial failure is something that I think everybody has uh, experienced, um, you know, perhaps more than once and in varying degrees. And I like to ask my guests this next question of, you know, what is a financial fail in your life that, um, you know, obviously you've recovered, if whatever it was, but take us there, take us to that moment. What happened? What do you think went wrong? And what did you learn? Got one. Yeah. Who's the, now this is a magazine. Yeah. I bought a juicer. (laughs) (laughs) Very trendy. Yeah. I thought I was like, I'm going to be this person who wakes up and makes myself juice in the morning. And then when I did the accounting of it, including my time um, and the efficiencies of New York, you can actually um, buy fresh juice that's cheaper than if I had done it by myself uh, um, in my kitchen in the morning. So that was silly and just not totally thoughtful. So there was a little financial fail. This is Soraya speaking. I would say my financial fail was not negotiating on salary for my first job. And it's something that, um, I've never done since. I mean, well, at Zadie, um, we've been very careful to have very modest salaries as founders and we're not negotiating with each other all the time about it. But in subsequent jobs since my first job, I've always negotiated because I read a very important article that my mother and sister um, encouraged me to read about how much women lose over the course of their careers from simply not asking for a slightly higher bump when presented with a first offer. And I remember being so fearful when I was given my first job that if I asked, I would look presumptuous uh, or or seem entitled. And so I didn't. And I think for two years after um, agreeing to that first offer, I regretted it every time I paid my rent and then paid my utilities and paid back my college loans and had very little money left over to actually spend on myself. So for any woman listening to this call, I hope this is a lesson that um, I've learned for you. And the next time someone presents you with a first offer, um, you know, Please don't accept it at face value. Please value yourself and ask for more. Can you tell us what was um, maybe a, a, a takeaway when you did get the raise, you were able to negotiate, get the courage to, you know, to speak up on your behalf? What advice would you have? Because being in that moment can be very terrifying um, because you're not sure how you'll be perceived. I mean, it gets easier, of course. You just have to, the first time you just have to do it and just ask. But any advice for that young woman who is, uh, wants to ask but isn't sure how or how to bring it up. Absolutely. Um, For a young woman who's nervous about asking for more, um, and believe me, I've been there, I'm I'm someone who really dislikes confrontation. I I almost never um, find myself in confrontational situations. And so to confront someone that has offered you a job offer and and to say, okay, thank you very much, but can be very daunting, especially for women, because we tend to be people pleasers. Um, Luckily, since 
I was offered my first job, you know, over 10 years ago, first working job in New York with salary and benefits. Um, ample online resources have become available. So there's a website that um, I really recommend young professional women read called Levo League. And there's actually a section called Ask for More where it teaches you um, how to build up the confidence and prepare for that moment. You know, one thing that helps is rehearsing it like a script and practicing it on your friends and family before, you know, speaking to the, to the HR representative or your boss, um, him or herself. Another thing that really works is getting data to prove um, how much you think you deserve based on what um, the market salary is for someone with your experience or lack thereof. Um, it's really helpful to go in with information. That information will make you feel empowered for the conversation. Those are, those are two big tips. Great, great. And I'm a big fan of Labor League. Um, and um, I agree. I mean, I, my father taught me that. Unfortunately, he, he you know, that was probably the best advice he ever gave me was uh, to negotiate and on the very first job. And I was like, Dad, you got to be kidding me. I should just be happy to be there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're going to fire me. And he's like, no, they won't. And um, he was right. Okay. Oh, by the way, yeah. I've never heard of anyone being fired for asking for more on their first job. And I've spoken to so many young women about their careers in the past decade. Never once have I heard of anyone um, being rebuffed for asking. I almost unanimously hear people actually getting what they ask for. Right. I mean, think of it like this. If you're an employer, you, you anticipate negotiation. I mean, that's, and, and um, of course you would, you probably enjoy it when people don't ask, but it's, it's expected. And so you should play the game. Yes. Alrighty. Let's talk about so money moments. So we're going to flip it. We talked about failure, but um, what about something that you're really proud of financially? I mean, clearly your business is a is a, a huge source of pride for the both of you. Uh, but in your individual lives, financially speaking, what's a moment that you look upon with a lot of pride and, um, you know, patting yourself on the back? Like I really kind of you know, I did good there when it comes to your own personal finances. This is Soraya speaking. I can think of one. Um, I remember when I decided to become an entrepreneur and uh, my mother is just so generous and so gracious and she thought it would be nice to offer to pay the last $5,000 of my college loans for me. And I had enough in savings then and felt very proud of myself for saying thank you, but you've already done so much for me. And, and wrote the check myself. I think that's when I felt most proud to be an adult, to really thank my mother for everything that she's done for me in my life, and also to have, you know, worked hard enough to be able to pay for something like my education that, you know, was very meaningful and very important. That comes to mind, although there's, there's a slightly funny story that um, is on the tail end of that, which is that um, I, I was recently with Roxanne Varza, who's a, a Persian uh, tech columnist in Europe, and she and I were mistakenly on a, a a newspaper story in Iran called uh, The World's Richest Iranians. Oh, my God. And, and, and neither, neither of us are. And we were on stage at La Web two days ago, and she decided as a joke to introduce us to the audiences. Two of the world's richest Iranians. <laughs> I had to say to her, Roxanne, please, please, please clarify that that's not the truth. Oh my God. Uh, so that the joke fell flat a little bit, but it was an inside joke that the two of us laughed at. But to even be on a list such as that, um, you know, makes you chuckle because it's really. I got to find that list. A, yeah, it's a, very, it's, it's a very inaccurate article, but it's a very funny money moment in my life. Oh my gosh, that must that must have been pretty awesome for your parents. <laughs> 
I think my dad got a lot of emails from young men saying, is she single? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised. There isn't one moment, but um, my husband and I try to have monthly meetings about our finances and where they are and what, you know, what we're doing. And I think just kind of the consciousness that we try to bring to it is something that uh, I'm pretty proud that we're cultivating because uh, it's sometimes, you know, we're just like Soraya and I are partners in, in business. Uh, my husband and I are partners in life. And so the fact that I can communicate um, to him and have a real partner in having him understand what my goals are with the company and what that means for my contribution to our um, couple uh, and having him be a part of that journey and feel a part of it um, and being open with it is something that I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, for sure. I'm married too. And um, I'm thankful for my financial advisor who emails us to say, we're meeting, we're talking because I think <laughs> if it was up to the two of us, um, other things interfere, as you know, and, and it's, you know, it's a lot easier when you have a, an intermediary who's yep. getting you together at the table. So I applaud you for both having the, um, you know, the, the, I guess the fortitude <laughs> to bring yourself together. Yeah. Fortitude. Like, what's the word? What's the word? Yeah. It's fortitude. It's uh, courage. Uh, let's talk about <laughs> habits. I, I think all, uh, you know, leading a positive life in with respect to your money and with everything else, you know, requires a few good habits. And so I'm always curious to hear from people, what are uh, some habits you have or one habit that helps to keep your money uh, where it needs to be. And, and, and Maxine, you already talked about, you know, having these week or regular check-ins with your partner. That's a habit. I think that's something we should all get into if we have, if we're married or have partners. Um, Soraya, what's, what's a sort of financial ritual that you have? You, it may be unconscious until you're thinking about it now, and you're like, actually, I do this thing. So tell me, it, <laughs> um, could, it could be a tool also that you use. So something that my mother and grandmother taught me, uh, I keep going back to my family, it's so funny, uh, is to balance your checkbook. And in a digital age, most of us very rarely rely on checks, and we use credit cards. But Something I force myself to do each month is to look very carefully at my credit card statements. Sometimes I even print them out. And with a fine-tooth pen, go back and highlight things that seem a little bit unnecessary. And so I've almost entirely cut out my coffee habit because of a few months ago I noticed that I was spending upwards of $15 a day on, on fancy lattes. And I'll still have have one in the afternoon at work. It feels like a really nice treat. But I almost entirely make coffee at home for myself in the morning or if I have to have one at night, at night. Um, so that's a ritual. And... <laughs> Yeah, $15 a day adds up. So this $5 latte factor, it's actually $15 if you, are you going to Blue Bottle? Where? <laughs> yeah, well, actually, yes. I mean, going to Gregory's or Blue Bottles or, or, or Starbucks, it's usually $5 plus per latte. And I was on a, a three, three latte a day habit for a while. So wow. um, really, so I guess it's, you know, we don't really balance checkbooks anymore, but we need to balance our credit card statements. And, and I know there are members of my family, I won't say my sister, but it's my sister, who um, enrolls in automated uh, payment and then doesn't necessarily go back and look at everything that we've spent money on. And there are just so many things that we pay for that we don't realize that we pay for. Um, I had to cancel one of my um, Spotify accounts. Uh, because I realized I was enrolled in two for the year, and I only need one. Um, so little things like that you'll catch only if you take the time to uh, balance your checkbook. Absolutely. 
I'm a big fan of automation, but yeah, you have to just, you got to look at the paper statements, even if it's a digital mm -hmm. statement, because um, you will inevitably catch something at some point that you don't want to be paying for or was a mistake. Exactly. Right. This is the final part of the interview where I start off a sentence and you finish it. And just the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, ready? <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would? I would uh, see how I could contribute to making the world a more positive place. And I'd also enjoy a really nice meal <laughs> for all my friends and family. <laughs> okay. I would start a social impact fund and invest in other companies that are mission-driven like Sadie. Awesome. The one thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better is? Seamless whip. <laughs> Spoken like a true New Yorker. Um, uh, massages, uh, but I have massages at places like Air or Great Jones that are a little bit more affordable and and uh, youth friendly. But I really think that massages and yoga and even the occasional manicure. Maxine and I um, have been known to have meetings over manicures. Um, you know, taking time for yourself is really essential, even in the busiest of work weeks. Yes, and as you said earlier, experiences are mm -hmm. far more valuable than you know. Even just going to, you know, going and buying yourself a sweater or something like that. Well, not if it's our sweater. Right, generally, right. Generally speaking. I know. I, I thought about that before I said that. I, like, <laughs> I know she's going to come back with a, a rebus, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, of course. My biggest guilty pleasure that I probably spend too much money on, and this could still be seamless. <laughs> uh, what, 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 what's one example? Mine's another New York one. Um... Sometimes I get lazy and I get into a taxi when I should go use the subway. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a very good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's one that a lot of New York women can relate to. That's the, that's the other thing I don't like looking at on my monthly credit card balancing. Um, yeah, I don't want to I, tell you what my Uber tab is at this point. <laughs> uh, gosh. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'll just say Uber. I don't, I, in fact, a lot of my friends have been deleting Uber lately because they feel like it's made them um, too careless with, with, um, with rides. Mm -hmm. And so I might even go on uh, an Uber-free sort of binge and, and try it. Maybe not in the dead of winter, but mm -hmm. try, you know, at least not using it from, from April to November. Yeah. And only allow myself to use Uber in, in the strictest of circumstances. Like some people do meatless Mondays. Maybe you could do like yeah. Uberless October. <laughs> well, Uberless summers. Uberless summers, summers, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is? One thing I wish I knew about money growing up is that it compounds. Uh, it, and I wish that someone had taught me more about what savings really mean and, um, and basic financial vernacular. Like, what is a bond? What is a stock? Um, these are things that sometimes you learn in economics classes in high schools, but not all high schools have them. And I was raised by a single mother who is many things, and um, you know she's a genius and she's an intellectual. Um, but being interested in finance is not one of her one of the characteristics I would use to describe her. Um, and so it, I had to sort of learn about money by getting jobs and um, oftentimes being paid, um, you know, check by check. Um, but it was probably not even until 
five years after college that um, I, you know, opened up an IRA and started investing some of my savings into a 401k, um, into stocks and bonds. And now I'm, I'm bullish on it. Um, I've, I've studied it and um, I'm very proud of my little portfolio. But, um, but something I wish I had learned early on was that basic vocabulary of finance. And I think you can teach, especially young women, but I think you can teach kids this vocabulary as, as early as eight or nine. Yeah, I guess I took um, a lot of accounting and business school classes, and uh, I'm really happy that I did that. And, and that, that definitely a feeling of empowerment that um, seems pretty rudimentary and, and basic and should be a part of our education. But, um, but it's not something that has to be scary. It's just you could, I'm sure there's, you know, very basic books that you can feel that you just understand the language um, and that's really empowering. When you donate money, where do you like to give to? Uh, well, we have our sister nonprofit organization called the Bootstrap Project, so working with artisans throughout the developing world. Um, I, by extension, um, like to give money that is helping people help themselves. So um, microfinance organizations or uh, business training, um, there are things that uh, an organization that thinks of itself um, that if in the ideal world they wouldn't exist in 10 years because they've solved their problems um, that they set out to solve. And that's really what I look for in terms of um, a nonprofit or uh, a social impact for-profit company. Yes, I, I couldn't agree with Maxine Moore. So Bootstrap Project falls strictly into that category, as does um, Heifer International, as does um, Sama Source. Uh, which uh, empowers uh, men and women to learn um, technical jobs that are uh, sort of rudimentary in, in Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley, but uh, much needed. And it allows them to have gainful employment. So Bootstrap, Heifer, Sama, those are three organizations that, does, that do precisely what Maxine just mentioned, help people help themselves. Awesome. And then finally, ladies, I'm so money because... Soraya here. Um, I'm so money because um, it's never too late to be in control of your financial future. And I took a hold of mine 10 years ago, and that feels pretty great. Um, I'm so money because I'm uh, thoughtful about my finances, but I don't forget that part of being thoughtful um, is having a good time, too. Nice. Yes. I feel like the theme of this conversation has really been about consciousness, but also practicality. And um, the two of you are doing such amazing work, bringing those the pros behind both of those aspects and, and characteristics to life through Zadie.com, helping so many communities around the world and having people kind of think differently about, you know, clothing, which is something that can be very mindless. I mean, I feel like we go in the store and we buy something and it's, it's a very mindless process. We just go because, you know what, it's either cheap or we trust the brand, but we don't really know how the clothing's being made. And I thank you both for making an impact and making us think differently and disrupting an industry that needs to be disrupted. And we'll be watching you. The site, everyone, is zadie.com. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Farnoo. You're welcome. If you'd like to learn more about Soraya and Maxime, visit their website, zadie.com. You can also follow them on Twitter, at Zadie. We have all the links 
for where you can find these ladies and their site at somoneypodcast.com. You can also find the transcript and comments from this episode and previous episodes there. And I want to hear from you. Please keep the questions coming. Send them at somoneypodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. Submit your question there, your comments as well, and I will look and read at every single one that comes through my inbox. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our double feature today. Hope your day is so money.